Tonight our gospel comes from Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as those hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that when your alms may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and on street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. I have a Lenten discipline of preaching from a manuscript. It's not something that I do a lot, if it's something you've seen me, if you've watched me preach before. But I like preaching from a manuscript in Lent because it allows you to pick the words that you want. And you say it the same way every time, which is also good. I always feel like preaching from a manuscript is a little bit like giving a poem, and I, I think that that's applicable to this poem that I'm calling Dust. I hate dust. I wouldn't call myself a neat freak exactly, but I definitely feel like a cluttered desk equals a cluttered mind. I like things to be clean, and not just a little bit clean, but like all the way clean, and I liked everything to be in order, and not just a little bit order, but in perfect right angles. I can't really settle in to do my work until the desk is clean. At home, it's the same thing. I really like it when things are clean and tidy because it's the only way that I can relax because I can't relax if it's not clean because I got to get up and, well, clean. Only when the tasks are done and the house is clean, and that includes getting rid of the dust. The problem is, my life is never clean. My desk is never clean, except for about one day out of the year, and it lasts for about three days if it's a long weekend. 
I really like it when my house is clean, but the problem is my house is never clean. My house is clean up to my standards maybe four times out of the year, and it lasts about 37 minutes. As much as I wish that it weren't, life is dusty. Our dog doesn't care at all about my cleaning goals. Why we got a white dog in the first place, I may never know. Although I'm not sure you could tell that's the base color under the mud. My kids don't care. They're snackers with wrappers all over the house. Hot chocolate mugs enough to keep them up all night. Popcorn bags, candy wrappers, they're everywhere. I stepped on roller skates and a nail this week. Sticks whittled down to look like wands from Harry Potter. Basketballs and shoes, oh, the shoes. Each of my children must have 80 pairs of shoes, and they are all downstairs. It's crazy to Ashley and me that the kids don't mind the mess. I actually don't even believe that they see it. We stack things up on the stairs, thinking that they might take them to their rooms, and at the end of the evening, they hopscotch their way over the piles as if we have intentionally created a fun obstacle course. It's not all on them. As parents, we often don't want to see the mess, and we definitely don't want you to see the mess. We make them dress up nicely for church. We smile on a Zoom call, even though it feels like everything else is falling apart on the other side behind the camera, let alone the blurred out background. If someone is going to ride in my car, I make a trip out to the parking lot five minutes before we leave so that I can take all the mess and put it in the trunk I'll get to that later, I say, but I won't. Our kitchen has three junk drawers, maybe four. There's an odd bump on the side of my leg that my doctor asked me how long it had been there, and I said a couple of months, and then when I told Ashley when I got home, she says it's been there for years. The pandemic... The pandemic did not help. The pandemic gave me a lot of time to be alone with my thoughts, and a lot of thoughts showed up that I didn't like. Even my mind is dusty, very dusty. I've been saying for years that I'd go to therapy and that I would deal with issues of being middle-aged, of my dissatisfaction with life, my sense of loss in relationships that are no longer what they once were, my sense of relationships that actually never were what I've been telling myself. Dust. It accumulates on everything. 
on the edges of our lives, the top of the bed frame. You try to get into bed after a long day and you look up and there's a layer of dust mocking you. The ceiling fan that you haven't used all winter long suddenly is spraying dust everywhere because it's 80 degrees in February. On the counters, dust. When the sun beams in through the window and I think, my God, how gorgeous is this day. The light shows the particles of dust. When I look in my office at bookshelves that show me that I have access to great amounts of wealth, of information, do you know what's on those books? There's a really nice Bible sitting on that shelf. Do you know what's on it? I'll get to that later. I say, someday we'll acknowledge that things have gotten a little dusty. Someday we'll admit that things are never as clean as we think that they ought to be. Someday we will face the junk, the chaos, the disorder. Someday we'll look in the mirror and face our mortality. We will remember someday that we are dust. And to dust we shall return. There's a theologian. His name's Rob. He reminds us that in olden times, not that olden ago, when someone died, it was up to the family to clean the body and to prepare it for people to come visit and pay their last respects. There was actually a room in the house devoted to this it was a room in the house away from the clutter so that you could entertain. And it was in that room that people would be on display in their finest clothes before their funeral. That room was called a parlor. But we didn't like that. Can you imagine now cleaning a body of a loved one and putting it in your parlor? It wasn't that long ago that we did this, but we didn't like facing death, so we let capitalism step in, and now we don't clean the body. We have a place for that, a funeral parlor, but not facing death is a mistake. It sends the wrong message that if we put all the junk in the drawer, we won't have to deal with it. We won't have to deal with the dust. Then we think, if we don't have to deal with the dust, we probably shouldn't expose our children to dust either. After all, they could have allergies. Children don't need to know, we say. They don't need to know about death. They don't need to know about sin but children do need to know about death. Not in a harsh way, but in an honest way. Children do need to know about sin because sin 
is the dust of the soul. You see, the hardest part about living in a messy world is having to admit that we are the mess. It's easier to blame the house, the dog, the kids, the weather, the workplace, the politicians, the system, but we are the mess. We are not above it. We are in it. Did you know that the name Adam, as in Adam and Eve, the name Adam, Ha-Adam, means of the earth or earthling or of the dirt or dustling, mud monster, clay compost. His name is literally mud. God says to make a human, we start with dust. And then we add the second recipe. For some reason that doesn't quite compute, God decides to take God's holy sacred breath and put it into dust and make us ruah, the breath of God, dust and breath, where the mortal meets immortality. God breathed life into us. We are not worthy. I think your phone is going off. Without gust, without God, we are dust. Without God, we are the part of life that we most hate. Without God, we are mud and worse than mud. We are scum. Without God, we have no breath. We can't be worthy of this exchange. But for some reason, God breathed into us. God continues to breathe into us from our first breath until our last breath. I have seen the moment of a child taking its first breath, and it is magical. The excitement, the anticipation, the miracle of those lungs taking in oxygen for the first time. It's amazing. And I have seen the moment where someone took their last breath, when the moment the lungs are labored and slow, often when someone takes their last breath, you know it was the last. And it's also amazing. It's an easy recipe, dust and breath. Mortal beings who develop a habit for smelling the immortal. We are dust. We are mess animated by a God who loves us. And we cannot escape that odd reality, the juxtaposition of being worthless and worthy. We can't earn it, but we can breathe. We cannot earn it, but we can breathe. We cannot comprehend it, but we can breathe until one day we give God back God's divine breath. And on that day, we face our 
humble beginnings of what we started out as dust. <laughs>